Welcome to a special edition of Inquire. I'm Don Wilkins. In this second episode of the Missionary Inquire's Homeless Project, you'll hear from those who work with the homeless, the shelter directors, and the volunteers. Each and every day, the shelter directors, along with the volunteers, try to make a difference in the lives of Davis County's homeless. And this is their stories. Yes, my name is Harry Pettigall. I'm the executive director of St. Benedict's Shelter. I've been with St. Benedict's for five years. I've been executive director for three years. Uh, St. Benedict's Shelter is uh, an emergency shelter for men, uh, which means we're open from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. We provide life skills classes, case management, uh, drug-free environment, transitional housing um, for veterans and sober living transitional houses for our men transitioning back into independence. So Harry, what do you see that attributes to the homeless problem here in Davis County, or um, is it different here in Davis County? So uh, homelessness, uh, obviously it looks a little different than it does in your large metropolitan areas. As far as the problem, the problem's about the same uh, per capita when you look at the numbers. Um, the, the issue is obviously a smaller scale, but it's relatively kind of the same. Uh, the reason it looks different here in Owensboro than it does metropolitan cities is one, we have great organizations that work very hard to destigmatize uh, homelessness and to address barriers that a lot of these men and women face. Uh, for example, um, the appearance uh, or perception that homeless are, you know, dirty or carrying all their things or, you know, they're uh, not clean shaven or their hair's a mess. Um, those types of things that create stereotypes, we work hard to uh, take away uh, because they're barriers. They're barriers for these men to find jobs, uh, find housing, because people make decisions based on a lot on perception and appearance. So that's, that's the reason why it looks different here, Don. Um, than, than a lot of your metropolitan areas. Uh, what we see is about 40% of the population that we serve uh, suffer from some sort of mental illness uh, or uh, substance abuse issue. Um, the other 60% uh, is basically anything from criminal records or uh, criminal convictions, uh, bad decisions, uh, uh, sometimes there are circumstantial issues or generational issues. Uh, a lot of what we see is individuals that have grown up in poverty or were raised in a homeless situation have learned to make the best out of a bad situation. and uh, It's hard for them to overcome that and to uh, place higher standards on themselves. So um, that, that is a big part of it as well. How bad? Is the problem here in, in Davis County? Do you do you think that people don't don't realize that it's as, as big of a problem as it is because of organizations like yours? I do. I think that um, you know we, as much as we're a part of the solution, I think that we we are a part of uh, the problem as well. And and when I say that, I don't mean it in a, in a negative way, but. Uh, as we destigmatize homelessness, it does take away um, the relevance or the appearance. Uh, so it, it kind of hides the issue. Um, the issue is, is there. A lot of people don't know. So a lot of people don't even know that shelters exist in Owensboro. Um, but we do have a pretty big homeless population. Last year we served 457 different men 
um, just in our facility alone. Um, now I can tell you a, a lot of those are transients that travel the country uh, that are trying to reunite with their family or get back in situations where they have better support group. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's one of those battles where I don't think you'll ever end homelessness um, because it's like danged if you do, danged if you don't type situation. But we do work very hard uh, for the men and in doing that, yes, it, it is, uh, it's not as uh, prevalent or obvious to the general public that we have such a, a big, big need in that area. What's the requirement? for someone to stay here? To stay at St. Benedict's, uh, they're required to be 18 years of age. Uh, they're required to pass a breathalyzer. Um, they are uh, required to take a drug test. They're required within two weeks to sign up with all social services. That's family services, that's um, uh, the housing authority, all subsidized housing places to get on the waiting list, uh, be looking for work, uh, or obtain a job within 30 days, show proof of disability or a disability claim. Um, other than that, we don't do background checks. Uh, we don't require them to have IDs when they come through. We do know that their, uh, their circumstances uh, may not allow for them to have an ID or you know those are things that are creating or, or helping them um, stay in the situation that they're in. So we help them to obtain those documents and stuff. So really just got to be 18 and come through the door um, and we're going we're gonna to help. The average stays about 30 days for an individual. Um, in the winter time, because there is a waiting list and because of uh, lack of vacancies around town because of the cold weather, uh, the white flag we've partnered up with uh, the Davis County Fiscal Court and Emergency Management Services with the Homeless Council and have operated a white flag facility which takes in those individuals, men, women, and children during the cold months, November through March. More beds, you said that that's not something that you're, that you think would solve the problem. Can you go into more of, of that kind of idea? Yeah. So. Um, you know, we we've looked at our situation. And we thought, okay, well, if we added ten more beds, would that would that help us from staying full all the time? Uh, would that accommodate the need that's out there? And we've realized that no, that will not accommodate the need. What will accommodate the need is getting people from the the beds that they're in in independent housing or transitional housing, freeing up those beds to be able to aid more individuals. Um, because the more you take on, the more you take on, obviously, and the more the, the workload is. So when we keep it to where we're at and we focus on being more intentional and putting more time into those men, we found that the success is a lot better of helping a man become independent and helping him to establish that independence, uh, which thus allows us more bed spacing. So without adding beds. Uh, moving forward, you know, we would all love to end homelessness. Obviously, um, that that's not that's not going to happen because homelessness is not the problem. Like that's not the issue. The issue is the other things uh, that have to be addressed: the addiction, the mental illness, the uh, trauma, the you know, the being the victim, the uh, responsibility issues. Those are the things that contribute to homelessness. And until we diligently work on those issues, uh, which 
at any time, you know, I could become homeless or I could go through something traumatic in my life that hinders me from being able to make responsible decisions. And so you'll never end homelessness. Um, but we can sure put in a lot of effort and uh, being successful for the ones that do uh, embark on this, that part of their journey in their life. My name is Thad Gunderson. I'm the executive director of the Daniel Patino Shelter. I've been here for about 18 months. My family moved out here from Colorado and we're glad to serve the shelter here. Uh, the Daniel Patino Shelter serves about 100,000 meals per year. We have a soup kitchen that's open to the, to the public, to the hungry and hurting in the area. Um, we have 65 beds that are usually full to capacity for women, children, and families. Um, we served last year over 300 individuals. Um, some of those stay just for a night or two and get back to stable housing. Some of them have stayed up to a year and a half and even we've had a few that have stayed up to two years in a transitional program where we're training, giving life skills, directing to other helps. Um, there's a lot of need in the community. One of the struggles with uh, female homelessness is that any female could have a place to stay at night. I can't tell you how many stories that I hear of women saying, well, I'd like to stay at the, at the Patino shelter, but I know there's a guy that on Friday nights or Tuesday nights I can stay at his place and at least get a shower, or I know I can stay here, but there's some obligations. And as a, as a dad, it's a horrible thing to think about and hear. Um, so we're really glad to be able to prepare and have housing, shelter, and guidance for people. So what is, what is the Patino Shelter's role here in the community? Yeah, our role is to care for homeless women, children, and families. So um, there are, there's a thing called the K-Count that gives how many homeless people at a given time in, a, in one point in time in a year. And last year they said it was 200 if you talk to the director of, of like St. Benedict's, if you talk to um, Bullware, if you talk to Oasis, if you, if you talk to Crossroads, other homeless providers, the need is greater than that, we would definitely feel. Um, one of the issues being at a point in time, someone might not be homeless, you know, on, on whatever day, March 1st, but three months later, there might be 52 different people that are homeless. So it's a one-time, once-a-year point in time is a tough one to count. Um, but our goal is to help people to go from homelessness, to keep them safe, to keep them fed, to, to have a shelter over their, over their head, and um, then to direct them and help them and guide them to permanent housing. That's our goal. So what are the challenges that you're, you're seeing here with the, with the folks who, who come to the Patino Shelter needing a place to stay? Why are they here? Why are they coming? Right. Um, people come for a variety of reasons. If it was one simple thing, boy, I feel like we could knock, knock it out and be done with homelessness uh, for good. And certainly that's a goal. But um, we have a fair amount of people that come from a past history of abuse of drugs and alcohol 
and so they, they may be clean now, but because of past abuse have maybe burned bridges with family, friends, or spouses, or boyfriends. Um, we have a significant population that might come from, have mental illness struggles that um, some on medication, some not. Um, some recognize it and some do not. And so they could be really good this day and really struggling the next. So that is definitely a struggle. We also have a lot of relationship issues. You have, um, let's say, a, an individual with a couple kids, big fight with a boyfriend or spouse, and um, then go and live, lives with grandma for a few weeks, maybe in another county. It's just a hypothetical, but we see this type of thing a lot. And um, get sideways with them. Um, then they've moved over here, they've gotten a job over here, and they've lost a job over there, and then they come to us and they've kind of used up their resources. They may or may not have made some bad decisions along the way, and there, there's really no other way out. There's no, there's no other resources that they have to, to keep themselves safe. So our goal would be to, okay, regardless of what's happened in the past, let's keep them safe tonight, Let's get them food, let's get them shelter, let's get some new direction in their life. So we have a, a child care advocate that's going to be giving them counsel on parenting. We've got case management that can say, hey, 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 here's what you've done with past jobs. This hasn't worked well, has it? Let's, let's do this differently, let's do that differently. Um, and then just taking some stress away of not worrying about whether they can pay that OMU bill. And then we've got good relationships with government housing, with private housing. Um, and we can direct and guide people towards that. Now there are obviously stereotypes. You know, people, it's easy for somebody to say, well, this person would be, they chose to, to do this, or they chose to be not work, or chose to be lazy. Well, what do you say to somebody who, who has that mindset? There's a lot of different reasons for each individual. Um, some are here because of bad choices, some are homeless because of bad choices. Many are homeless because they have rough circumstances. If you picture someone making minimum wage and maybe there's a sickness and all of a sudden they're not working for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Um, most people in Owensboro live paycheck to paycheck, the, uh, a, a greater percentage than a lesser percentage do. And if that paycheck is really small, even if it's full time, making eight bucks an hour let's say, um, it doesn't go far if you have a kid or two and you lose a job or have been sick um, and have been out of work. Um, there's also, I mean, there is a variety of, of situations we've had where it's been an illness of a child, it's been um, um, just a variety of things. And so it's important to not look at someone and say, oh, you are this, you are homeless. No, you're an individual who right now doesn't have a home, a, a home but here's some things we can do to help and people are going to get out of it. And I will tell you, there's obviously discouraging situations when you're dealing with, with people that are, are hurting and have needs. There's also a lot of really encouraging ones where you see a, a young parent who, let's say their kids are, are with DCVS, they're in the foster care system, but over time this parent shows initiative, they eventually get a job, they're clean from drugs, they over time get those children back and now they're in their own permanent housing, they're in an apartment in town here. We see that over and over and it's really, really encouraging. It's fun to be a part of getting someone, helping to get someone back on their feet. Do people take it for granted that 
that there aren't as many homeless people as they would think here. Right. So if, if you've visited, you know, New York City or parts of D.C. or Philadelphia or Baltimore or San Francisco, you know, you can go San Diego. Um, there's there's homelessness everywhere. One of the issues that's that's a little different in Owensboro is we don't have the um, you know, laying on the street kind of homelessness that you see in some larger cities or some other cities. Um, one of the reasons we are very blessed with a lot of churches that reach out in really significant ways. We have a lot of community providers that enable basics like meals, toiletry bags, um, some things like that. Um, I will say even just culturally here, because we at times will get people from all over the country. You know, someone might be traveling through. You'd be you'd be surprised. Let's say we have someone that came down from Chicago, and they end up here. They're visiting a grandma somewhere in the south. Let's say, and um, just culturally within homelessness, there's there's diversity. But a lot of the homelessness in Owensboro, they might be going through a window of an abandoned house and just sleeping in that house. So. I might not see them downtown, but they're staying here, there, and everywhere all over town. Um, I talked with a woman just, um, I worked on Monday, on Labor Day, and um, she was crying and upset. She had come in to town from about 10 miles out of town where she lived, and um, there was a, a family emergency here in town and then a fight and I don't know all the details of it but she wandered around town she tried to sleep in Goose Egg Park for a little bit um, and she was kind of at the, at the at the end of what she knew how to do so we brought her in here got her some food she could take a shower get cleaned up and um, she's probably gonna be here just very short term and get some stable housing back in the area she's from but, but it is different here. We don't have the volume of people at the library. We have some, but not the volume that many larger cities have. But just because you don't see them or we don't see them in the same way as you might in a, in a New York City doesn't mean that the issue isn't real. What does it take to operate a shelter like this? Sure. Well, it's expensive to run a, a women, children, and family shelter because you have to have staff 24 hours a day. Um, so. So we have 11 staff, not all of them are full-time, just because you have to cover weekends and nights and first, second, and third shift. So um, financial gifts are always a huge blessing and, and we're blessed with some businesses that give us money and we're blessed from, from some widows that might give us $10 a month. And I'll tell you, we're blessed by both and very thankful. Um, we're blessed with gifts of food, people will have a let's say a graduation party at their house and they'll bring in leftover barbecue for us and as long as it's good and everything i mean that's huge for feeding you with a hundred thousand meals we've got um so donations of food donations of of gently used clothing is is really nice especially for women and children um, but we can use you know some men's clothing as well and we also anything we can't use that's donated because um, we get donations every day and it's really, really beneficial. We send those out to other groups that can use them. Um, and then volunteer time. Um, we're starting up a new thing called the Volunteer Counseling Corps, where we have some volunteer counselors, people who have some skills and abilities in those areas, 
can meet one-on-one -on -one with women during the week and um, can guide and give direction. We also need volunteers in the soup kitchen. We can use volunteers at any time. We have a lot of churches cover our meals on the weekends when we don't have staff to cook here. And so a lot of churches will cover uh, one Sunday a month. We could always use more doing those kind of things. You know, a, a Saturday two o'clock meal or a Sunday two o'clock meal, those kind of things be really beneficial. But the community is really, really good to us. We are very blessed with a community that recognizes our needs and also the benefit an individual can have. We'll have a parent bring in a little bike. Their, their seven-year-old outgrows a bike and they bring that bike in and sometimes we fix them up a little bit and we can give them to one of the residents' kids and uh, see them scooting around in the backyard. It's pretty fun to see. So the community is really good to us. Along with the paid staff, there are those who volunteer at the Patino Shelter, which is also a local soup kitchen. This is where I met Juanita Swanigan and Connie Dixon, who are the shelter's volunteer cooks. Each week they volunteer up to 30 hours a week cooking for those in need. So what's on the menu today? Okay, well we're gonna have barbecue chicken, corn on the cob, butter potatoes, and Hawaiian bros. And then we have some type of snack for them. Dessert. Dessert. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what we're gonna get yet. Probably cake. Mm-hmm. Probably cake. So who's in charge of planning the meals every day? Okay. So uh, how far, do, you, do you plan these meals out far in advance? Or? Yeah. We got to, to get the meat out, you know, a day ahead. You always plan a day ahead. And I always do like Sometimes I'll come in on Sunday if I something, like a pork pork or something, if they want something like that. I come in Sunday nights, put it on, put it on load. And I come back. Well, it's the staff or what that works overnight. I tell them just leave it on 200 and turn it off at six, and I'll be back in the morning to do what I gotta do. Mm -hmm. I do. So where does most of your food come from? Donations. Donations. Different like Kroger's, mm -hmm. Sam's, Sam's Club, Club Walmart. Uh, Walmart. Um, there's other places too, like the donuts come from different bakeries. Yeah, like uh, Kohler's. Rolling Pin and Kohler's. Are they the, like extra donuts they didn't sell? Or? Yeah, they like the donuts they did that day and they didn't sell, they'll bring them here and we get to give them to them in the mornings. And the feta pizza, they bring um, pizzas in, so they, the residents. It helps out a lot, yeah. Yeah, they eat different snacks. Yeah. Different, like you said, places mm -hmm. donate. But they help out a lot of people too, because they sometimes when the freezers are full, they take the meat out, and if they want to, they try to feed families who need. Mm -hmm. Like some people who's been here and stayed, moved out on their own, and they need a little help sometimes. They help help them like mm -hmm. that, with the food box to help Get them, them out started. with the kids. Yeah, that's good. That's nice. Mm -hmm. That's real good. I love the shelter. That's why yeah. I come here. I enjoy it. I do too. <laughs> I, I wouldn't change it. I would like to thank the shelter directors and the volunteers of St. Benedict's and the Patino Shelter for sharing their stories and helping to create awareness about homelessness in Davis County. If you would like to donate or become a volunteer, call St. Benedict's at 270-541-1003 and the Patino Shelter at 270-688-9000. Join us next week for part three of our homeless project. You will hear from those who partner with the local homeless shelters 
and MI reporter Renee Beasley-Jones, who has reported extensively on homelessness in Davis County. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquirer.